This is our first winterlude, which is the interlude in between sort of arcs, I guess. Um, so basically what we're going to be doing with this one is it's a much more like narrative structured thing. There's, if you guys find a way to get yourselves hurt in this arc, like you messed up real bad, <laughs> there might not even be any rolling. It's probably just going to be like straight playing through. So when we got to the end of our last adventure, you all leveled up and chose your various level up bonuses. This is sort of my way of like narratively justifying those things in like a character driven way and also sort of filling the space in between this and the next adventure to sort of get like the overarching story going. So with that in mind, I'm going to open with a bit of a narration. So pardon my flowery writing. There's something entirely beautiful about Revenant in the springtime. It's a beauty that comes from crocuses blooming up through the snow and birds tentatively calling out their inquisitive songs, but it's also a beauty that comes from what those things mean to the people who notice them. For centuries, poets and philosophers have equated harsh winter with death, the ice and snow serving as a kind of brutal metaphor for bleak endings and the cruelty of nature. But if that's true, then spring is the promise of life. Every flower, every bird, every hint of warmth from a sun slowly waking on the horizon is a sign that things will come back, that the world is full of surprises, and that hope, if you can pardon the pun, springs eternal. And perhaps no one is more conscious of that, or more in need of it, than people who have come too close to the winter of their own lives. Perhaps they, more than anyone else, are inclined to feel inspired by the persistence of flowers, or the inquisitiveness of birds and squirrels, or the revelatory light of the approaching sun. Perhaps they too can sense, even before they know it, that change is unfolding around them. And perhaps they also want to grow to meet it. It's been about two weeks since the three of you faced off together for the first time against the flesh gate in the park. I imagine that some things have changed since then, probably more internal than external, but changes all the same. As for the town, it's changed too, though only in as much as it changes every year around this time. The unfortunate coyote incident up at the gates was a tragedy, and no two ways about it, but one that isn't likely to slow tourism in Revenant. And it certainly hasn't slowed the townspeople, who are greeting the change in seasons with contagious enthusiasm. The motel, freshly painted just the other morning, has started to see a handful of out-of-towners here and there. Big Billy's Diner has, if you can believe it, a chocolate cream pie, of all things. The outdoor supply store is offering 25% off their heaviest parkas. And yesterday, someone even saw park director Adam Kennedy smile. And so, despite every unnatural thing you've seen and discovered recently, you're reminded of what is perhaps nature's most fundamental lesson. Life goes on. And the question becomes, what are you going to do with it? Murat, you've been pretty busy in this two-week period. We talked a little bit about this off mic, but the big level-up bonus that you chose for yourself was to gain a lore library to help in your future expeditions. Was this a decision that you came to, like, immediately upon returning from the park, or did it take you a few days to get the gears moving? How did you come to this decision or this conclusion? I mean, I was pretty close to already being in possession of a lore library mm -hmm. to begin with. I don't think it was a, it, it was a pretty smooth transition. Sure. So walk me through your process of trying to construct this lore library, both on a conceptual and, like, a physical sort of level. What are you, Mariah, envisioning this to be? And then how do you go through the first stages of the efforts to make that happen? 
essentially, rather than creating like a new library mm-hmm. space, I already have the library, the People's Truth Library of Revenant, Alaska, and essentially just kind of boiling down the resources I have at my disposal into another a section just for what I may come to need in the future or what is relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of taking the lore and historic, uh, the historical related resources and just sort of compiling all of that to a shelf, a very a specific shelf um, that is, and I can see it in my head. So it's trying to, yeah, totally. Oh, I need my hands. You have as um, much time as you need to explain this to us. So it's like, I have the front part of the library mm-hmm. and like, don't get me wrong. Nothing in the library is like, John Grisham or anything, but the front part is like the more mainstream texts and um also my alien stuff and some of my like entry level conspiracy stuff. And then I moved a shelf, just I, I emptied out one of the taller sh- like one of the smaller shelves mm-hmm. and moved it into my little back office where I where my, my board is, my conspiracy board, uh my cork board, and I have taken sort of a selection from various sections of the main library and then Totally. them into my little backspace. Okay. And that is the lore library. Awesome. Is this section of your library still open to the public? Is it open upon request? It's or... open to the people who seek it. <laughs> oh, I like that help, very much. Help is available to those who are willing to ask for it. Amazing. So what is the actual literal physical process of you doing this? Do you like close down the library for a couple days and make construction happen? Do you just do this while people are in there? Is it something you do overnight while the library is closed? I closed early one day mm-hmm. and I stocked up on coffee and I pulled an all nighter and I pulled, put my, uh, put my whole situation together. Excellent. Is this something that anybody else helped you with or did you do it yourself? Was this like, you got back from the park and the next day you realized like, this is what I want to do. No, Zoe helped me out. Of course. Zoe helped me set it up. Mm-hmm. We had like a gals night. Ah, amazing. What else went on during your gals night? Um, we got a pie to go from Big Billy's, a coconut cream pie of course. and a bunch of coffee. And then we got, um, some national Enquirer magazines and we took like breaks, coffee pie breaks with magazines. Made each other's nails black. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee pie, nails breaks. We also uh, put on um, some bikini kill. Ah, very good. uh, And some uh, Fiona Apple as well. And just kind of rode the whole thing out. I I also imagine that you have probably like an AM FM radio. Oh, yeah. And um, Coast to Coast comes on at that time of night, too. So I imagine that would probably be part of your girls' night. Oh, absolutely. Which is very fun. I like that. So in terms of the timeline, when would you say this happened relative to you getting back pretty soon after you guys got back? I got back, basically crashed, crashed, just slept it off for like Mm -hmm. a whole day. Right. Um, and then worked the next day, called up Zoe and was like, Hey, I think I'm going to close early. Do you want to help me do this? So like literally took a day to sleep. Great. And then got it done. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay, so you had this vision, and you had a plan to execute it, and you have the drive to make it happen, absolutely. But I think the roadblock that you inevitably end up running into and can't seem to break through is that you just don't have the materials. Uh The People's Truth Library, for all of its many redeeming virtues, is still a public library. And your collection of highly specific monster hunting resources, as useful as they may be, is painfully limited. Uh 
So you do still obviously have a majority of your library, a library which you inherited, and so which beforehand would have had very mainstream offerings. To do what you're attempting to do, you need more books. I do. You need the kind of archive someone might spend a lifetime curating, and you don't have a lifetime to do it. But you have something better, which is a remarkable stroke of luck and a little bit of help. So after your all-nighter with Zoe, I think this is the way this plays out. I think that you finish up your all-nighter and you go your separate ways. I think probably Zoe leaves in the morning, maybe heads out the back entrance because it's closer to her house or whatever. And then what do you do? Are you getting ready to leave? Are you going to hang around the library? Is it still, are you closing the library today? I'm probably going to hang around, uh, okay. do my, do my work, like do my shift and then sure, just carry on normal schedule. Okay. Man, you sure do like pulling long hours. <laughs> Truth never sleeps. All right. So what does your opening routine look like for the library? What does it take to get the People's Truth Library ready for the day? Well, I tend to lock up my back office uh, because I don't want people just wandering in there, seeing all of my musings and all of that. Mm-hmm. And again, if people ask, I'm not in not a position where I would deny knowledge to someone seeking it, but I lock up the back office first. I kind of check through the card catalog, make sure I kind of, everything's where it's supposed to be. Uh, so it'll run smoothly if someone's looking for something in particular. And then I unlock the front doors. I put a little, uh, the librarian is in sign on Excellent. the door. And that pretty much is it. There's not a lot of ceremony or pop and circumstance to it. Okay. You're going about all of this and you have the library ready. As you go to open up the doors for the day, you find that there is a delivery on your doorstep. And on the doorstep of the Revenant People's Truth Library, there are several large crates. Mm-hmm. The postmarks and labels and stickers are sort of an incomprehensible tangle of cities and continents from all over the world. It would be impossible to trace this thing back to a sender or a location. You could never really hope to figure out where they came from, but an envelope on the top reads simply, Mariah Harris. Oh, boy. What do you do? Well, first of all, I'm going to go back to my office. Okay. Because in my office, I have a metal detector. Okay. (laughs) And I want to make sure there's nothing. I I just want to get kind of a sense of the of the uh, crates. Um, sure. Okay. I just can't think of the word because I'm losing my mind. Contents. Contents. I was <laughs> saying containments and that's not the word and I feel like I'm losing my mind. So I want to get a sense of the crates contents. It's understandable. You were up all night. I was. I'm so tired. So uh, yeah, that's fine. Um, so I take my metal detector and I kind of run it over the outside of the crates. Sure. Nothing out of the ordinary stands out. The okay. crates themselves are made of wood, so your metal detector does pick up where there are, like, nails in the crates and things mm-hmm. holding them together. But they appear just to be standard shipping crates. You don't notice anything particularly unusual in mm-hmm. them in terms of the contents being dangerous. I listen for ticking. Okay. No ticking. Okay. I sniff for the smell of <laughs> napalm or other explosives. Uh, no napalm, no explosive. How do you know what explosives smell like? What is your secret pass, Mariah Harris? Do my research. Okay. Uh, it, it might smell like iocane powder, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, no, right. there, you cannot detect any sort of explosive or dangerous, uh, you maybe even check for like pressure plates or trust, nothing. They appear just to be for all intents and purposes, crates, albeit very mysterious ones. Mm. Okay. So I said about moving them inside. Okay. Um, we'll say there are probably 
four or five of them, like standard mm-hmm. shipping crate sizes. Mm-hmm. Not like super, super large that you wouldn't need another person to move them. Okay. It would just take some doing on your own. Okay. So once those are inside, I take out my little like butterfly knife and just okay. use that to kind of pop the like top. The if I can get enough leverage on that. Sure. Yeah. Are you just you're popping the crate open? Yeah. Or are you opening the envelope? No, or I'm popping the crate open. Okay. Great. So you open up the first crate and it's full of books. Books of wildly varying age, condition, size, and color. One is a green book with golden embossing that reads Fearsome Critters of the Lumberwoods by William T. Cox. Another one is Cycle of the Werewolf by Stephen King, a handwritten translation of the Egyptian Book of the Dead scrawled into a series of slim notebooks, a yellowed album of blurry photos, a small bundle of penny dreadfuls on crumbling paper, a brand new manuscript titled A Night in Roswell with a stamp across the front that says Rejected, Return to Author. I wipe away a single tear. (laughs) And... Every other crate that you would open um, is more of the same. Just books upon books upon books. They don't seem to have a singular source. Nothing in common aside from their usefulness to you. I pick up the envelope. I almost forgot about it in the frenzy of opening crates and seeing what else is there. But I pick it up and I take my butterfly knife and I open it. Inside is what, for all intents and purposes, appears to be a completely nondescript white card, standard card size. It's made of just a, a normal cardstock. It could have been purchased somewhere. It could have easily just have been folded together. It's hard to tell. The message on the inside is typed with no handwriting or identifying marks to indicate anything helpful to what it is that I'm sure you're wondering. But it says simply, keep going. I'm sure you have a million questions. I do. But more importantly, you have your library. I do. I wipe away another tear. <laughs> another single tear. Another single tear of wonderment. And I set about putting the books away. All right. Awesome. Hi, everybody. This is your keeper speaking. Thanks so much for taking the time to tune in to A Horror Borealis and share the podcast with your friends and enemies and cherished plushies. We've already passed 3,000 downloads in our first month on the public feed, and we could never have done it without an extremely supportive and enthusiastic fan base, so really we owe it all to you. As a reminder, if you have been enjoying the story, you can access a full year's worth of episodes by pledging $1 a month, or more, to the Cryptid Keeper podcast on Patreon. It's the same story you've been listening to here, just much more of it. Think of it as the world's cheapest time machine. New episodes are still going up on the Patreon regularly, so no matter how you choose to listen, you'll still be getting fresh content as quickly as we can churn it out. Speaking of great content and patronage, you can also become a supporter of the OneShot Network for access to bonus content from every single show the network produces, as well as a whole host of other benefits by tier. It's a fantastic cache of material and a really great way to support some brilliant creators doing tremendous and important work. Of course, even if you have no financial support to offer, you're doing us all an enormous favor just by downloading, listening to, and talking about the shows we make. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of the reason we're able to make stories like this one possible. As always, the part of Mariah Harris is played by Addison Peacock. The part of Martha Campbell is played by Tim Warner. 
The part of Siobhan O'Shaughnessy is played by Andrew Giada, who also composed our excellent theme music. And I'm your keeper, Alex Flanagan. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Bye. Martha. I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, she is crying. <laughs> so cute. Uh, okay, so Martha. In the days leading up to your encounter in the park, you learned some very unexpected things about Revenant. And I get the feeling you've probably tried to continue following those leads in the days since. But right now you aren't in Revenant. You're somewhere that you haven't been for a very long time, which is home. So tell me about home, Martha. Where did you live before you came to Alaska? I lived in, uh, well, Nebraska, which is very similar sounding to Alaska. <laughs> Did you just get the two confused one day? And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, I meant to say that uh, on my job application, uh, I meant uh, to say Nebraska. Willing to relocate to <laughs> Nebraska. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was from ne- uh, Nebraska, Omaha, so like d- d- central Nebraska. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What was your family like? Really just a normal family. There was nothing, like, stressful about family other Mm -hmm. than the normal being a teenager and thinking your parents are embarrassing, controlling, all of that. It was really just a good family. had a younger brother. Both your parents were a part of your family situation, too? Yeah, both both parents there. Okay. And what about when you were younger? How much younger is your is your brother than you? My brother is sorry, I have to do quick maths. No, you're fine. About six or seven years younger. Okay. Yeah. That so seems good distance. A distance, but not you both still did have a period of growing up together. You were still very much right. a part of each other's childhoods. Cool. I want you to tell me about the time that your mother took you to San Francisco, which would have been when you were about seven years old. San Francisco was fun. Um, it was kind of a surprise trip. I didn't know that, mm-hmm. uh, or I didn't know where we were going. I just knew that I was taken out of school. And then we were on a plane headed over to San Francisco. And right when we were, driving up to the hotel Mm -hmm. uh it was really fun because all the streets are really not small but crowded um sure it's really hilly as well which makes it really fun to walk around and we were there for about a week we did the normal like go on bus tours there was one with uh with a duck type vehicle which was amphibious yeah one so, of the, the land to water cars yeah very cool. those were awesome saw some sea lions sitting just out on the the harbor or bay we went over to alcatraz that was fun <laughs> it sounds like a fun time for a seven-year-old <laughs> what was the purpose of the san francisco trip was it just a family vacation yeah it was a family vacation it was i think at that point i didn't realize it because i was young kind of in Mm -hmm. my own mind, but I think my dad was having a pretty stressful time at work. I can't remember if he had been laid off or if he had Mm -hmm. had to take a pay cut or he was just having problems with some of his employees, but I think my mom definitely realized he needed a break and this was a good one. Excellent. 
Do you remember or did you ever know at the time what your father's job was? He worked at Boeing. All right. Well, is that in Nebraska? I don't know. I haven't <laughs> done much research. He, he did one of the Nebraska ones. <laughs> That's um, okay. Yeah. We can say he worked at Boeing. This is imaginary. So he was, he was uh, an engineer for Boeing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very cool. You had a particular travel companion with you on this trip. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you acquired this companion on this trip or had it beforehand, but you used to have a stuffed animal that you were quite fond of. Mm-hmm. Do you remember anything about it? Yeah. It's a little stuffed hippo. What's the hippo's name? Bobo. It's Bobo, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me about Bobo. Well, Bobo... He's definitely seen better days in his appearance-wise. Um, uh, definitely lots of love on Bobo. As of the time of this San Francisco trip, how old was Bobo? I think... I think that Bobo would have been around five years old. Okay. So Bobo was a mainstay of your childhood. Right. Probably one of the first stuffed animals I had gotten. And so Bobo had seen a lot of your growing up. It had been a, a part of things for you. And so this trip and and Bobo are, I think, all sort of melded together in your mind as just highlights and, I guess, impressions of what was generally a very good childhood, right? Mm-hmm. I think for you, the memory of the San Francisco trip is probably one of those things that stands out not because it was significant, but precisely because it wasn't. And later when things would start to get difficult or frightening or lonely, it would help to remember a time that was none of those things. But suddenly the scene shifts. And much like the incident with Hawk a couple weeks ago, you find your mind suddenly flipping through rapid and disorienting imagery you don't have time to process. There's the inside of a bank. There's a gunshot. There's something large and heavy crashing violently to the ground in a shower of crystal shards. The horizon quickly slipping by as if seen through a bus window. Hotels and halfway houses fading into the distance behind you in the middle of the night. Then you find yourself standing on a dusty road leading into town and a sign that says, Welcome to Revenant. Something overhead in the sky catches your eye and, unlike everything up to this point, it takes you a moment to recognize it. It's the Northern Lights. And they're beautiful. Shifting and pulsing across the midnight sky in slow, prismatic waves that dance and glow, you feel like you could watch them for hours. And maybe you do. It's hard to say. Time passes very strangely in dreams. But after a while, as you watch, something disturbing begins to happen. The lights begin to spread across the sky, not in the way that watercolor paints wash over a surface, but in the way that fabric tears as if the Aurora Borealis is not in the space above Revenant, but beyond it, and something is ripping the boundary between them slowly open. And then you wake up, in your own bed, in your cabin, your arms wrapped tightly around a stuffed hippo named Bobo. Let's go to Siobhan. That's me. Take a second. Bobo. 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 Bobo.
<laughs> Will Almay. <laughs> That's Bobo's voice, as you know. Will Almay. I can't see. What others can't see. Shalon. Yes. Um, you are required to use that character voice forever now. Welcome. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, Siobhan, of all the people who have had their world shaken in the past few weeks, yours is probably the least. Not that there isn't a great deal to unpack in what you've seen, but you've had a lifetime to prepare for this. Twisted ankles heal. Campsites get restored. Trucks can be washed. Work goes on. But not everyone in your line of work has an equivalent reaction. And I think that a few days after the accident, and you can tell me, I'm not sure, did it take you a few days to get back to work, maybe? You had an ankle that had you laid up. Yeah, I think Siobhan probably took a few days. I'm sure that was more than understandable in the in the structure of your workplace. How long do you think you were out? I'd say uh, she doesn't want to be away from work for too long. It's maybe sure. like three or four. So we'll pick a day the following week. Does any one of them sound particularly good to you? Uh, how about Wednesday? Wednesday sounds great. So you go back into work on a Wednesday. And how are you holding up at this point? Do you have like any scratches or bruises on you? Are you still healing up? Any, or are you like fighting fit, ready to go? No, she's still healing up. I mean, she didn't take a whole lot of hurting. <laughs> Just rub it in, why don't you? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, no, I think she's okay. She's pretty much fine. Her ankle is still giving her a little bit of a hard time, but other sure. than that, she's okay. Well, luckily, you know, it's not, there's nothing that serious for you to get back out into the park for. No skateboarding this <laughs> week. <laughs> the blazer for skating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dang Uh So you go back into work. You go back into the ranger station. Is this a morning shift, afternoon? No, afternoon. Afternoon? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Take it sleazy. Love it. So you go back into the ranger station and... I'm, I'm sorry. Take it sleazy? <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> I don't know what character you think she is. It's not anything. It was a good <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you work with Ted Danson now. Did you know Great. That? Awesome. Um, Ted Danson is Riley, the park ranger. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Can you imagine? I thought Riley was like 16. Riley is 20. You cannot be a park ranger at age 16. Well, a young, a young. A young individual, yes. Anyway, you go back into work and it's the afternoon. So I think it's probably fairly casual in here, you know. I mean, it's not a party, it's not extravagant, but the coffee maker's running, you know, people are mostly at ease. But park director Kennedy sees you and he, you know, greets you, I think, as warmly as. Park director Adam Kennedy ever greets anybody, which is sort of with a, a nod and a, no, Shaughnessy, good to see you back in. Always happy to be back. <laughs> Can I see you in my office for a minute? I go, I go there. Yes. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> you do that. I do that. And so he holds the door open for you, welcomes you into his office. You've been in his office many times before under circumstances, both welcoming and not so much. Most recently, it was a mixture of the two, but today he assures you that you're not in trouble or anything. It's, you know, just catch up. How are you doing? You you holding up okay after? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually surprisingly fine. It's good work you did out there. I appreciate it. Just doing what I can. 
<laughs> well, it, I want you to know that it's, it's not taken for granted. This is not among the easier park ranger assignments to have, and you really came through. Oh, I appreciate that, sir. I, uh, I was wondering if you could do me a favor. Name it. I was hoping that I could ask you to, uh, to go out with Riley on their patrol this afternoon. They have a shift out there in the park, and I think that, well, I think it, it would be helpful for them, maybe, if you would, would go along with them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Love that kid. Don't we all? Riley's a star. <laughs> the rising star of the Parks Department. Yeah, Not well, the Parks Department. The Park Rangers. The Parks Department of the U.S. of A. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, anyway, thank you. I thought I'd, thought I'd run that by you, but they should be in here in about 15 minutes, so if you could just let them know that you'll be joining them, I think that would... Well, you'll see what I mean. All right, I uh, get up and go to leave. Okay. Get a cup of coffee. Oh, good choice. Yeah. Solid. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not that warm outside yet. You still want to have something. You probably have like a park-issued thermos that mm -hmm. you you carry with you. Right yeah, it has the little park ranger logo on it. Yeah, it's excellent. Like brushed steel. <laughs> Great. Uh, okay, so you hang out in the lobby. And just like clockwork, um, Riley shows up on time for their shift, their patrol. And sees you and, you know, waves. I think that Riley is somebody who always seems to be running on a, a bit higher energy level than most other people, but... I grab another coffee. <laughs> okay, good choice. They don't need it, but it, it's for you, I can understand. Yes. But seems to be maybe a bit off today. And I think uh -huh. that you have worked with the people in this station long enough to have a, a bit of a read on that. It's not a particularly large department. I think that you would know what the baseline for, for pretty much everybody in your office would be. And Riley is operating somewhere south of it today. Not in any sort of physical danger, but just an energy that's a, a bit off. Oh, uh, hi, hi, Siobhan. How, how, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine, Riley. How are you? Uh, well, you know, can't can't complain. Nothing wrong over here. Yeah, I uh, I can I can see that. That's that's awesome. Well, I uh, I was wondering if you would mind if I tag along on your uh, patrol today oh. to get some time, get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, yeah, that that's I mean that's that's fine. I don't I don't see anything that would be wrong with that. Let me I, just uh, I grabbed you a hot cocoa. Oh, hey, thanks, buddy. Yeah, sure thing. No, no, how you, you kids love your sweet treats. I, I am 20 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a day over 29. <laughs> okay, nudge, nudge. You, you don't look it. Um, okay, so Riley, I think, grabs their coat, and you guys you get ready to go out in the park together. From the park station, you could just go out on... No, you could go out on foot, I think, which is what you would do. Their, their particular patrol is not going to take them anywhere... Very far from the station, I don't think. Most of the campsites are within walking distance of the ranger station, because that's what makes sense at this point. There are some adventurous campers, of course, who choose to land in the more deserted areas of the forest because they like that added challenge. But most of what you're dealing with right now is going to be things close to the ranger station. So you head out on foot on your patrol. Sure. And it's fairly routine. There's nothing out here in the forest to see, really. It's the same walking trails that you've known for years and years. And... Despite everything that you saw go down here two weeks ago, 
it's, well, I guess it'd be a week ago at this point, despite everything that you saw go down here last week, 20 minutes ago. <laughs> 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 um, things seem to be back to as normal as they can be. The park is beautiful. But Riley seems really, really jumpy. So, uh, Riley, how long have you been with, uh, with the park rangers at this Oh, point? um, well, you know, when I, when I graduated high school, I, uh, le- left town and I went to, to go study, uh, out- outdoor science and leadership at college. And then I didn't do that and I just became a park ranger instead. So, uh, um, about a year? About a year. Where are you from originally? From, from here. So you went up here and you went to college here at Revenant University. <laughs> Population three. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I went to state school. Oh, okay, all right. Well, and now you're back. But mm, how yeah. do you uh, how do you like it so far at the at the park rangers? Oh, I, I mean, I love I love being a park ranger. Being a park ranger is great. It's just, uh, well, you know, I mean, it's. It's not a job that you really can predict before you get into it. Yeah, not not exactly. They kind of blindside you with some stuff there. You, yeah, a little bit. You doing okay with, with some of that? Well, and uh, I think Riley at this point stops and looks kind of close to tears and maybe sits down on a tree stump or, or bench or what have you and, you know, takes their, their park ranger hat off and hangs their head for a second and says, you know, I... I mean, I knew about, you know, everything that they, they tell you about when you become a park ranger, but it just, it's so different once it actually happens, you know? I mean, what can, what can we do out here, Siobhan? We can just do our best. We keep on trying. They tell us about this stuff to prepare us. And it's different when you're actually experiencing it than when you just hear about it. But... You've been through the training, and I believe that when the time comes, you'll be ready to. I whip out a handkerchief and pass it to them. Oh, okay. They take it. That's okay. a nice gesture. So you, you can keep that after you're, you're done using it. Right? I don't want to go. says, okay. Thanks. I give him a little nudge on the shoulder. <laughs> uh, thank you. Well, okay. <laughs> you're stronger than I think you think you are. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Thanks. Park Director Kennedy told us what you know what what happened when you guys were out here, and man, I, I can't even imagine. But you know, I just if you guys hadn't gotten out in time, I mean, I was I was supposed to be in the search party that came later that day, and I just I you know I can't sleep thinking about what might have happened. Well, yeah, things might have happened, but they didn't. Right? And I know that anything can happen at any point. But if you spend your whole life thinking about what could have been, you're never going to move forward. you got to think about what happened and how to move on from there. Those are wise and insightful words. And I think that that is a good place to call your little vignette. So, this brings us to two weeks after you guys have returned from the park. What have you seen of each other in that time? I find it hard to believe that you would go through this experience and then just <laughs> say, well, that was fun. I'll see you guys later <laughs> after, you know. Till the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
when danger comes, and it will come. Call me. So, what about the three of you? I've def- Sorry, go ahead. <clears throat> um, I've been visiting the library trying yeah. to read up on all of these things <laughs> that I've, are now new to me. I definitely showed you all my new books. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool library. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I've, I've definitely um, tried to go by uh, Martha's a few times, just mm-hmm. because, like, she's part of my assignment, and I think I wouldn't just abandon that right. because of that. So I think I've come come around one, once or twice in the past week just to see, like, hey, how you doing? You doing okay? Hanging in there? That kind of thing. I don't know how warmly I was welcomed. I mean, you did save everyone's life. <laughs> Get out of my house. <laughs> you leave. Uh, what, I, I guess I'm just trying to figure out, what is the dynamic between you at this point? Do you, how do each of you regard the others? I think before the events of the last two, two weeks ago now, right? Yeah, two weeks ago. Before, uh, now, before two weeks ago, I wasn't really sure about either of them. At this point, I think I've started to trust Martha more. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I know, like, I still need to keep an eye out. I've kind of seen part of her character. So I'm, I'm starting to trust her more. And I, I would say the same with Mariah, even though she probably still isn't super warm and friendly toward me. Addison is giving me a nod. <laughs> I think, like, there's a, a begrudging respect for how she helped out. I would agree. Definitely begrudging respect from mm-hmm. both sides here. There's still like some 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 tension to be had, but I think going through an experience like that and having to kind of keep each other alive like that, yeah, absolutely, yeah. it's going to bring you together, kind of trauma bond you a bit, mm-hmm. you know. And then Martha and I were already buddies. Yeah, I think it's a little less awkward between us now because, um, like, I mean, we've been through things and. Like, that's drawn us a little bit closer. So I feel like I can open up a little bit more to you rather than um, keep myself completely closed off. Um, and then I think, I don't think much has really changed with uh, Shaman and mm-hmm. me. Still a park ranger. <laughs> <laughs> Love these and totally normal park rangers. Totally career hasn't changed. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Uh, Siobhan can handle herself out in the wild, and like I respect that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I, I don't think I would be thinking or thinking into it much. Okay. And then I have one last question for the three of you, which is, what did you do with the Flushgate's body? Oh. <laughs> I mean, don't look at me. I was, like, almost dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, I think, largely Siobhan's call because yeah. it was in your truck. Yeah. But I do think it, we need to resolve it now. No, it's a good <laughs> question. Did we, like... Yeah, absolutely. I think I probably took it back to the ranger station. Do these two know that you did that? If they were in the van when I when I put it, put, picked them up, I wouldn't... Yeah necessarily take Mariah like to the hospital with a dead monster in the back of my van. Right? I think <laughs> no, no, just this one, boys. <laughs> Leave the other one in there. I think I might have like switched. <laughs> I just got what you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I might have driven the van back to the station, mm-hmm. switched cars, and then in like a regular car and taken her to the <laughs> So the plush gate's still in the trunk of your monster. No, I like dropped the <laughs> van off, radioed, say, hey, here's the situation. Mm-hmm. I'm taking this civilian to a medical professional. They'll come pick up this. Yes, this so, thing. What was the explanation to us then? Because I still feel a little bit weird about leaving this like creature, this thing that's not supposed to be here mm-hmm. in your truck. Yeah. It's a van. In your van, sorry. <laughs> First of Your truck-like <laughs> van. <laughs> it's a van, but it has the bed of a truck still. It's like a minivan, just like okay. an extra. I'm kidding. So you're, you're, you're trained. No. Shabbat has reached peak that, soccer That's mom. a hard word mom. to combine. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. It's, it's just a van. A van? It's just a van. I'm fine with the van. It's a van. It's a okay. van. I don't want the open monster cage. And, no. Uh, I think an enclosed cage is probably best. But yeah, I still don't feel comfortable with, like, and maybe it, it happened where you were just like, hey, I'm going to let the other park rangers know about mm-hmm. this. We'll handle it. Well, yeah, I think that's and probably. I still wouldn't feel totally comfortable with it, mm-hmm. but it would have to happen. Yeah, and I would probably say, like, look, this is just what has to happen right now. We need to keep this here in the woods and get her safe. The other park rangers will take care of this for us. And then what they did from there was probably, like, if it was already dead, which it was. It was, yes. They probably, like, buried it. Incinerated it. Or incinerated it. Or both. In a cleansing, mounted its head with some fake antlers on a very nice plaque for Park Director Kennedy's living room. (laughs) And this is the flesh gate. (laughs) What's that? Don't worry about it. He's a deer. Is that a human man? No, no, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Okay, so... That is the situation in Revenant as it stands two weeks after the incident in the park. And I think that at this moment, perhaps you all understand, even without realizing it, that this is a temporary piece to be enjoyed and not taken for granted. Mm -hmm. Because very quickly it is about to be interrupted. Next week. Next week. Mariela's. I was going to say, that's a really good cliffhanger. Yeah. Amazing. 